Welcome to Tell Me About Your Father's Daddy Issues, where we discuss pop culture news and current events through a fatherly lens to determine who or what have been the biggest heroes and zeros that have made headlines lately. I'm Elizabeth Thompson. I'm Erin Hosier. We'll get to the game in a little while, but we <laughs> must introduce our guest first. Yep. Alex Gordelis is a comedy writer. Having worked on the hilarious and iconic Billy on the Street with Billy Eichner, as well as Eichner and Julie Klausner's cult hit, Difficult People. He's also a writer-writer, not just a comedy writer. He is a journalist even. Alex and I first met when he was a contributing editor to Paper Magazine. He edited papers. Mm -hmm music page. He wrote several features for the magazines, including his profile of Courtney Love. Alex is also a contributor to the LA Review of Books, writing recent pieces on Sonic Youth's Kim Gordon, as well as Wilco's Jeff Tweedy. Alex Gordellis, welcome to Tell Me About Your Father's Daddy Issues. Hey, Elizabeth Heron. It's an honor to be here. Hey. Oh my gosh, we're so excited to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And Alex Aaron is only the second actual father to come on this podcast. OMG. What does it mean? I don't know. Well, also, probably it must just be like the second straight man. He's the second straight man that we've said can have their voice recorded and be on a podcast on our watch. How about that? Yeah. He is a dad to baby George Scordellis. George loves the Beatles and trucks. Don't we all? So cute. Alex, how are you? You look like you, I see a drum set in the background. Are oh, yeah. you in your garage? Where are you zooming from right now? I'm in my garage in Eagle Rock, California. Hot. In the Northeast corner of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And as the dad next door, he there's a loud beeping in his garage. I just had to tell him, hey, can you turn that beep off? He was charging his garage door opener. I was going to interfere with the audio of this. This is straight white dad yeah, content here. Totally. I said, Mike, you got to turn that beeping down. I got to do a podcast in my garage. He's like, I'm going to go to my garage, turn that beep down. <laughs> Not only is it telling another dad to turn a beeping sound down, which is peak dad, it's coming from a garage, which is even more peak dad. Yeah. And there was like some like tension over like, I feel weird encroaching on another dad's space. Like his great, and like, mm. and he felt very apologetic being like, I'm sorry, my garage sound is interfering with your garage activities. This is, this is what we do. Because all dads know what garages really mean to them. Cool. It's, it's dad's space. That's garage rock. That's where we get that term. I play drums in here in my Neil Young cover band, The Cinnamon Boys. We practice here. This is the jam cave. The Cinnamon Boys. Are there any Cinnamon Boys shows coming up? I know you guys just played in your driveway, right? We did. And we're going to play in the driveway again on Halloween. Halloween is on a Sunday. So if you're driving on Eagle Rock 5 p.m. on Halloween, we're going to play on my driveway. And I think this is not announced. We're going to do a cover of Misfit sets at the end. That is hot. LA, if you want to hear a great Neil Young cover band, go see Cinnamon Boys and Alex Gordelis's driveway in Eagle Rock. Are you going to do I, I Want Your Skull? We haven't decided yet. It's still like, we're still TBD. We'd like, we're going to do four or five songs. Okay. Yeah, we'll take requests. I, you know who I would love to have on this show sometime? Glenn Danzig. <laughs> I love oh. that you uh, preface that with Glenn. Glenn Danzig. Glenn Danzig, Glenn Danzig. I, I met with Danzig. I had lunch with him once. Shut up. When I was working at Funny or Die, I wrote a sketch 
that I wanted Glenn to be in. And so we went to his office in Santa Monica and like hung out with him. Was he cool or was he stupid? Is he a secret Trump supporter? Raise your eyebrows for yes. I don't, I don't know what his political leanings are. Mm, got it. Were you going to tell us about talking to Kim Gordon? Because we represented her book, Girl in the Band. Yes, such a wonderful book. Yes. I interviewed Kim weirdly in the very first week of lockdown. Oh. So it was like an intense How's she doing? interview. In week one, she was doing fine. She'd agreed previously to do an interview for the LA Review of Books. And LA Review of Books was going to do a live event with Kim to the issue. That all got called off and she canceled the interview. So like when lockdown started, I emailed her rep and I was like, Hey, I know she like backed out of this, but I have nothing to do. (laughs) I'm guessing that she has not a lot to do. I'm like, and it would mean a lot to me to like interview a musician who I really admire and respect. And she wrote back to me and was like, yeah, 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 I'll do it. So we talked for like a couple hours. I remember in the middle of the interview, she had to go take a hike with a friend. And I called Elizabeth and I was like, Elizabeth, (laughs) like I need, because I, she's like, I'm going to call you back. We'll continue this interview after I do my hike. Oh my God. And I, I was like, Biz, we got to discuss this because I, ha- I wanted to ask her a question. <laughs> this is about <laughs> this is this is before the presidential election, and she had posted on Instagram a photo of Kurt Cobain mm-hmm. and vote for Bernie. Whoa! And I was like, that's that's a weird thing. It's like Kurt is dead. Flashy right. <laughs> <He is laughs> died a long time ago, and, the, and so it's weird to like use him to endorse a candidate very much so so i called biz I'm like is this a, i'm like i feel like i should ask her about yeah, this fact check and so i did i saw biz like yeah yeah, yeah ask her. <laughs> and so i did and yeah her answer was like oh her understanding of instagram and social media is that a photo of kurt is gonna like get oh, jacked up gotcha. in the get like more eyeballs on it and she's like i think kurt would have liked bernie She's like, I can just I guess that he would have liked okay. Bernie. And I think that using his photo to game the algorithm is a positive thing. That's funny. So I did. And it was, so that was her answer. She was very savvy about social media. It's like, yeah, I'm just going to use this photo. Yeah, she was like doing the classic yeah. now that I have your attention kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, speaking of Nirvana, it's the 30th anniversary of Nevermind. It is? The album 3-0. It came out... Oh, yeah, 91. September 25th, 1991. Mm-hmm. So, this past week was the 30th anniversary oh. of the album. There were a few, like, yeah, retrospective things this past week. And there was, interestingly, I, I'm a, obviously a huge Nirvana yep. head. And there was somebody posted online in this past week there was a new documentary. There have been a bajillion documentaries, but a new one from the BBC that focused on Nirvana playing the UK. Yep was the only subject and it made me think like the only nirvana documentaries or books that i like are things like hit so hard that you co-wrote with patty schimmel where you see a window from another angle yeah like you you get a window like i don't want to hear the story of the band i've heard it a million times but like the idea like this documentary just approaches it like from only the shows they played in england and what their life was like in england and that they like the first when they went in 1990 with dave Grohl, they lived at a hostel Mm -hmm called the Dalmatia house. It was like run by Croatians and they like lived in the basement. So good. And it's like drink tea with the Croatian couple that owned the place. And then it's like this weird thing. Like, oh yeah, they were just like a normal small time band. Yeah, they were so broke. Um, 
And then the music that they played in, in the UK, like Top of the Pops, that performance, right? Just great shows. Great shows, that that band, Nirvana. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that band? <laughs> yeah, that, well, that band. It was their, their 30th. This, this Incredible. Week. Alex, there was, I ran out of free articles on the LA Times website. Um, yeah. But there was a big court, <laughs> which I'm sure people love to hear listening to this. <laughs> well, it should be free. Like their paywall is ridiculous. I pay for a subscription to the New York Times and other media institutions. I support journalism. So sue me. I can't do it all. No. But Alex sent me, Courtney Love, weighed in on Nirvana 30th anniversary. The three of us could do an entire podcast about Courtney that's Love, right. and maybe that's an interesting idea with our obsession with her slash fascination slash horror. But she talked to the LA Times. Alex, was there anything in that interview that you thought was illuminating about what she said about Nevermind? Well, the one thing she said that was interesting was that like people in the indie rock, alternative rock community always point to Nevermind and are like, oh, we won. Like that was like, we won the, and she's like, no, no, no. Like he won, Kurt Cobain mm -hmm. won. Like we are, none of us are nearly as good as he was. And like 30 years on looking back, like he was the guy who walked away victory in that situation. She also mentioned that like for years, she always thought of herself as his songwriting equal. Yeah. And she's like, I was like, I'm, I'm not his equal. Like he was, <laughs> which is not, I mean, that's, she's giving herself a hard time. I think she's written amazing songs, but like, never mind is like as big as it is for a reason. Yeah, that's incredible to get any ounce of humility from her about it specifically yeah. in within regards to songwriting, because she always credited him with being a better guitar player you know, which is yes. not hard. And it's funny, wait, so Biz mentioned that I interviewed Courtney for paper yeah. six years ago at this point. That hands down is my favorite celebrity interview that I've I ever bet. done. And like, just the like interviewing her was like a chess game where I was like getting my ass kicked the entire yeah. time by her. It was like, every move was like, whoa, you are one step, you're 20 steps ahead yeah. of me. I pulled up to her house and I think Mickey Boardman, Mr. Mickey at Paper, like, called me as I pulled up. And he's like, I just heard from her people. You are not allowed to describe her house, like, at <gasps> all. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, interview will be canceled if you don't agree to not describing her house. Right. I was like, but yeah, yeah. I'm like, I won't describe her house. Okay. Which, like, her house was fine. Yeah. Like, there's nothing wrong with her house. What's the issue? Can you describe it here right now for us? Sure, yeah, I didn't sign anything. Her house to me seemed like a rental. It was a very nice house, but like it wasn't like furnished with like cool stuff. It just looked like a normal like rental house. It was a rental. I know for a fact it was a rental. Very nice house. But yeah, and then so like when I rang the doorbell, she answered the door. I think I put this in the profile. I'm not telling tales out of school here. She answered the door and she was on the phone and she's like, hold on just a second. She's like, what's your name? And I'm like, Alex. She's like, what's your last name, Alex? I'm like, Alex Scordellis. And she gets back on the phone. She's like, he says his name is Alex Scordellis. And she looks back at me like, he doesn't know who you are. <laughs> and then her manager walks in and he's like, oh, she's talking to David LaChapelle on the phone. And I was like, of course, David LaChapelle doesn't know who I am. <laughs> yeah, she uh, made me wait for her for a while. And she put down the manuscript of her book in front yeah. of me. It's on, ongoing, um, ongoing, the writing of that. 
Yeah, it was the girl with the most cake. So it was on the front of the memoir. <laughs> and uh, she went in the next room and was still on the phone to somebody else at this point and was talking loudly about what a disaster the publication of her book was. And I knew that she was doing that so that I would hear it and I would put it in the profile. Yeah. I don't think she was on the phone with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I think that like, I knew that she was like in contractual trouble with the it's book. It's still going. I, it's not a secret to say that book that was sold on proposal four writers ago, like in 2007, 2008, yeah. it's still going. And I think like she'd made a point of like leaving the manuscript in front of me. So, so I would she, see that it was a real thing and I would like, like oh, it exists. Yeah. And hear her talking about what a disaster her co-writer was. Yeah, well, fair. That I'd put all of this into the magazine profile and like get her out of whatever jail, publication jail she was in. But you didn't, you didn't. I didn't read it. I felt weird about reading it. I felt weird like, I didn't have permission to. I felt weird yeah. like she walked back in like, reading a manuscript that was there. I didn't read it. Then she did come back in the room. Like I waited like 20 minutes. And the first question I asked her was like, how are you doing? <laughs> and she responded with like a 45 minute answer. <laughs> <laughs> and then like after that, like I asked one more question and her manager popped in and he's like, that's all your time. Uh -huh. like, oh. I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I asked one, my one question is how are you doing? And then we, she brought up Billy Corgan at that point and her manager's like, interview's over. Like, you got to get out of the house. Like, it was like, you were not allowed to talk about Billy Corgan to her. Whoa. Oh my God. And, um, First rule of Fight Club. Nobody talk about and, Billy. And like, luckily she, we like, and then she, for the next week she would call me on the phone a bunch and we like did a bunch of follow-up interviews. But wow. yeah, that one thing was wild. Oh my God, Alex, I totally forgot that that's what happened. That you like that you were only allowed to ask two questions in person. And then she called you a lot after that. Yeah, she called me a few times. She was like, she then left LA. I remember she was like at the Bowery Hotel. Where she was yeah. always like looking at her window being like, I have to check if paparazzi are down there. And I was like, oh, this is so not. They're not, Courtney. So, <laughs> so now she's in London, right? It seems like that's where she's at, yeah. yeah. And she was just at an opening for an art show or a tattoo artist's oh it's the 30th anniversary of pretty on the inside as well so she yeah. tied that yeah. into some kind of promo for a tattoo artist but whatever it is she has a new haircut oh that's like a shag pixie cut kind of yeah Looks very inspired by um, Gene Smart on Hacks. Very Gene Smart on Hacks. Perfect. That's all you need to know if you're looking at a picture, a visual. Mm -hmm. She's really into horse riding lately. Okay. She has a lot of um, horse stables content. Um, she's also been quite involved in the like meme language of Instagram. Like it's sort of sweet because she doesn't, you know, like someone in their 50s doesn't really know how to do it correctly mm -hmm. and will like make memes about being sober and then put a watermark that says copyright Courtney Love in the Ooh. corner. <laughs> so no one can steal her memes or her jokes, which is incredible <laughs> and I think endearing. Right. 
But yeah, she lately has been very vocal about supporting Britney Spears, right? which I find interesting because of her long documented, Courtney's long documented friendship and work with Sam Lutfi, who yep. is allegedly one of the handlers that got Britney allegedly hooked on drugs. Um, Sam was skulking around that profile you did, right, Alex? I remember he was like, wasn't he CC'd on a lot of like paper? He, he was her stuff? manager for a while. That's what it was. Yeah, he was. Her yeah, manager. he was CC'd on emails. I never dealt with him directly. He and then I know she has like a restraining order against him now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if one were, you know, paying attention to the news over the last couple of decades, the timeline is very interesting because. You know, Britney Spears had her big meltdown where Sam was in, involved and, and that was the whole reason. Allegedly, you know, her father came to have the conservatorship was the main reason was to get this Sam Lufty character out of her life because allegedly he was drugging her or um, he was the keeper of the magic. You know, he is a person rumored to basically be like, a drug dealer in tow who is supposed to be your manager or your sober companion. He's featured in the Aaron Carr documentary on Netflix about Britney. Yes, I haven't seen that documentary yet. I'm really interested to see it. But yeah, I think he's in that as well. And yeah, just, just seems like a, not a great character, not a good influence. But for yeah, a while there was attached to these, you know, female celebrities. Yeah. It's really weird. I feel like Courtney should acknowledge that a little more. I mean, I don't know what I want from Courtney. Well, you want uh, her to, to you know, be a grown-ass woman and be accountable for the fact that she got involved with someone with huge warning signs, warning signs, when she was in her late 40s by choice. Mm -hmm. I mean, Brittany mm -hmm. was extremely vulnerable and, and very young. And as yeah. Sam is neither of those things anymore and neither is Courtney. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think Alex talked to Courtney for a paper six years ago. And at that point, it was like well known that Brittany herself had a restraining order against him as well. It was alarming to see this person that we'd like known to really be a villain and like the narrative of Britney Spears CC'd on correspondence with Courtney Love. Like, uh, yeah, what? what? Alex, before we get into to who's your dad, who's not hey. your dad, I wanted to stay on this music beat for a while. You mentioned you're in a Neil Young cover band called yeah. the Cinnamon Boys. Cinnamon but, Boys! But you're also part of a top secret, and that is amazing that it's secret, music group for fathers what? what who what where when how and why yeah i say it's secret but like i do talk about it all the time yeah, <laughs> we noticed. it's not it's my huge secret but yeah no i'm in this new young cover band one of the guys in the new young cover band is also a dad yep. and he told me that he's in this group with other dads where once a month they get together at somebody's house either in a basement or a backyard and um They'll pick a year. Uh, so for example, the last meeting at the September meeting, the year was 1963. And everybody has to bring a song from 1963. And you sit around and like drink beer and play the songs and talk about the song you brought. It's like a book club for music. Yeah. And it's a fun little like social club. I love it. How many people are you, are in it? Like 20. That's cool. What year are you on now? 
So last month was 1963. I just got the email today because it's the beginning of October. I got the email today that this month is um, the year 2000. So can you clue us in on what you're going to choose? Yeah. My thing is that because I'm in a Neil Young cover band, I always bring a Neil Young song. Okay. (laughs) In the year 2000, he had an album called Silver and Gold, which interestingly, I I was reading about it this morning because I knew I'm going to pick something from that album. And the cover of the album, Neil Young said it was take a photo taken by his daughter on her Game Boy. <gasps> I didn't know Game Boys could take photos. No. But um, another fun, yeah, fun dad fact. That is that a great dad fact. And it looks like this grainy, cool photo, but it's like, no, it's from a Game Boy. I didn't know Game Boys could take pictures either. I guess oh, Game I Boys post our, post our Game Boy use. Probably. I mean, maybe that's the original like upskirt problem. What? That's right. That's right. I said it because I'm going to stereotype Game Boys as literally four boys. You know, I like, had one, Aaron. Oh, Careful. Right. I was all, you know, Tetris. Early '90s Game Boy culture was was very necessary. Who do? Before we play, well, quickly before we get into our game, where we determined who or what in recent news and pop culture is or isn't our dads. Alex, we worked at Paper Magazine together, as we've talked about, and one of my favorite stories about you is that when you came on to Paper, well, eventually you were our music editor, but before that you were our copy editor, and you revealed something very interesting to us after you quit, after a few years of being the cop, the, with a capital T-H-E, copy editor for Paper, which was that you previously had had no copy editing experience and lied to us about your experience. I had zero copy editing experience, none at all. But I knew that I wanted to work for Paper. I was working for a literary agency and I was not happy there, but I was at that time I was writing for paper. Yeah. And I remember I would go interview people. There was like a stairwell in the building at the literary agency. And I would like go do interviews with musicians in the stairwell. I was just like, I should just be working in paper. So I heard that you guys were looking for a copy editor. I was like, oh, I should have that job, even though I have no experience. It's sort of like that thing where people say in New York restaurants, like if you want to be a server, yeah. you have to have New York waiter experience yeah, it has to be new york like, how do you get it if you have never worked <laughs> it's like so at some point you have to lie you have to lie yeah and so i was like well to get this copy editing job i'm just gonna lie and say that i have a ton of copy editing experience <laughs> and i had zero and yeah i would like i printed out a sheet of like proofreader marks and i would hide it on my lap as i was and i was like just to, like make it look like i knew what i was doing yeah and yeah, then like later, Biz was like, oh, we would always talk about like this guy makes so many mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> going through the proofs of the magazine, we'd be like, how could Alex have done that? <laughs> it apostrophe S. <laughs> you were actually considering though that you had no experience. You caught most of it. Yeah, yeah, love paper. Yeah, paper was a great boot camp for working with some of the most fascinating slash bizarre slash mentally unwell people that you will ever encounter in your entire life it's just like one of the great the last great indie magazines of all time you know yes they really kept it going i mean kim and david the founders of paper were there until like i think four or five years ago when they sold it or even more recently than that Mm -hmm. yeah 
It was they were always in the mix, and it was funny to see a magazine be put together month after month. We were constantly working on it. Yeah, and it was like just starting over every time from scratch, like screaming and missing deadlines and photos <laughs> being fucked up and crying. And yeah, people don't it. know. People don't know how tearful this industry is. Ooh. It is you worked at Miss Magazine, Erin. Ms. Magazine and the year, I mean, talk about copy editing. A couple years before I was working there, they released a cover where they spelled the word feminism wrong. <laughs> <laughs> there was like an extra I in it or something. Feminism or something. And um <laughs> It's iconic. Like I tried to find like a picture of it recently and I couldn't. It's a big shame. I got to hijack real quick. I just have to say how much I love your Loveline episode. Loveline was like formative for me. Right? I listened to Loveline like in California. You could get it. I was in Northern California. It was on K-Rock. In like 1995, it went like statewide. Ooh. And this was before Adam Carolla was on. <gasps> So it was Dr. Drew and Ricky Rackman. But when it was just Ricky Rackman and Dr. Drew, it was such a weird show. Because Ricky Rackman, famously the host of Headbangers Ball. Right. But I didn't know that he was, like, before Headbangers Ball, his thing was that he owned a strip club on the Sunset Strip. Who knew? I think the Cat House. I think it was a strip club. I think it was, like, a, a strip club. But, like, and that was why all, like, Guns N' Roses and Metallica all, like, liked him. Because he was the... Oh owner of the club um but he was just like a monster <laughs> the calls in that era were very different the calls were always like like ricky like my breasts are so big i have difficulty walking and he'd be like take a polaroid yourself send it in holding up today's usa today so i know it's you yep and feel it to the show like at westwood one in brentwood california like and, like, and i was like what? this is such a weird show then during the pandemic like many people you did like look back on like nostalgic stuff from your childhood and I went back and like, listened to a couple episodes of Loveline and it's so weird that like most of the calls were not about sexuality right. they're mostly like mental health stuff mental. it was mostly like I'm thinking about committing suicide or like I have ADHD it was like it was and all the callers were 18 or under yeah <laughs> it just makes you realize oh, that show was just like nowhere and you just have a place to go as an outlet for mental health and so weirdly, they're like calling up this quack doctor and this comedian. On our episode, we do, Aaron and I do say the only thing that Drew offered any, was any use was stuff about depression and mental illness and normalizing yeah. that stuff. But then Aaron did some investigating and found out that Drew, who always pushed Wellbutrin on the show, was getting paid by Wellbutrin. Oh. <laughs> endorse it i do if someone told me that they were going to kill themselves as a teenager in southern california and then called into loveline and got some help from dr drew i would believe them because i did hear him give good advice to kids and and tell people that they didn't need to feel like ashamed about being depressed or going to therapy and there wasn't really any resources like that out there at the time you guys talked about them like placing bets about like what was yeah. wrong with people because they're so horrible in pre-Adam Crow, the bets they would place, because it was only California, there's a town in central California called Turlock that's very, like, rural. Mm -hmm. And, like, if a caller was, like, having really weird problems, they would take bets on how close that person was to Turlock. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's pretty good. <laughs> I gotta say. That <laughs> that's clever.
They also used to have a game where Drew would read headlines to Adam Carolla and Adam Carolla would have to guess if it had happened in Germany or Florida. And I thought that was <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. We'll hand them that. But yeah, Loveline, I think Loveline did more damage than, than uh, therapy. <laughs> you would like listen to it on your clock radio. You'd listen to Loveline from 10 to midnight. And then talk about the next day. This is not a funny story, but like one day at school, like we all heard this caller who said he was suicidal and we all recognized it might've been one of our classmates. And <laughs> so everybody like the next day was like, Dave, Dave, did you call Loveland? Oh no. <laughs> and he was like, no, he's fine now. Like I've seen him, he's on social media and everything. He's, he's fine. Yeah. He had to like go find this kid and be like, did you call Dr. Drew last night? And like, I felt so bad, but it was like, yes, that was what happened at that time. Do you think it was really him? I don't know. The point being, high school is brutal. There should have been more resources other than Loveline. Loveline was the one resource. That's why that show took off and was so huge. Yeah, exactly. And why our generation is so damaged. So damaged. Yeah, Ricky Rockman was in the November Rain video as a guest at the wedding. He is at the wedding, yes. Right before Uh the guy jumps through the cake. (laughs) So bad. (laughs) <laughs> much has been written about the guy who jumped through the cake but has there ever been a, an answer alex that you're aware of as why that person jumped through the cake in the november rain video this is a great question and it's actually revived something that i've i have on my list of things to do during the pandemic is that um <laughs> i made a tweet that like went semi-viral about the guy jumping through the cake okay like i was gonna ask the director of the video, why he had the guy jump through the cake. And I like found his contact. I'm like, I should call this guy up. I'm like, just tell me why you made the decision to have this guy jump through a cake. Yes, you should do that. I think a lot about the fact that I was watching MTV all day long while my brain was developing. Like I would have been like seven or eight years old. And I think it's why I can't retain like math, other right. languages anything but that video and what happens in it i know exactly what happens in it anyways i digress um okay so we're gonna get to our our special game daddy issues where we determine who or what in recent news and pop culture is or isn't our dad now when we say that when we say that somebody is not our dad or something it means that they have been infuriating, selfish, cruel, or just a massive disappointment. If we say that they are our dads, that means that they have shown big boss energy tempered by compassion, vulnerability, or intelligence. Let's get started. I'm going to start us off. We're going to start off with who or what wasn't our dad recently. Right. Um, in the news or even just in our personal lives. I'm gonna say that not my dad this week is Congress. Oh, here's why they're not my dad. Because it's it's all of it is too confusing. It's, <laughs> it's just like a dad who never shuts up or not a dad who just yak, yak, yakety yak, words, words, words. And then you have to watch last week tonight with John Oliver so he could break it down for you. To understand government funding, the debt limit, we also need to have infrastructure discussed, and then social policy reconciliation. There's too much going on. There's four moving pieces that are all entirely complicated. 
colliding. They're not even fitting together. It's no. not even a puzzle where the pieces come together. Um, and if I had my say, I would say you guys have to pick one thing to shut the government down over. It can't be four. And Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin have to have to either resign entirely from office or become Republicans. Yeah. Just straight yes. up. They need to switch parties. I'm tired of it. Kristen Cinema is from Arizona. She is an embarrassment to the state of Arizona where I am from. And the hilarious writer Ashley Feinberg once very astutely tweeted that Kristen Cinema sounds like someone who would review horror movies for ain'tcoolnews.com. <laughs> and I couldn't agree. So Congress, you're not my dad for being too confusing. You're embarrassing all of us. Figure it the fuck out. The yeah. end. The end. Also, the crazy announcement this past week that like on October 18th, the treasury is going to run out of money. That's what, that's what we're talking about. That's why it's like, wow, that escalated quickly. Literally, what are you saying? And what? how does it affect me? Well, what are they saying? And like, what does that really mean? Like, are they- like a very bad dad statement, like a dad telling a family, like, we're going to be out of money on this day. And you're like, ah. We don't need to know that. It is a bad dad move to be like, we're running out of money. And also, like what does that mean we need more details like how much how much money are we talking about when we say we don't have any money i'm just like start over clear the decks and just you know start over because it's just what does that mean though start over like like let's just say you don't have trillions of dollars in debt and, yeah and just start over we made the system oh just cancel the debt just ourselves. cancel the debt yeah, that's, that's a good point. That would be a nice dad thing to do to be like, you know what? You don't have to pay me back for the debt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got you. Bezos has got it. Uncle Jeff, you know. Uncle Jeff Bezos. Uh, Elon Musk. Jeff Bezos is going to probably need to help the government come out of the debt crisis. And it would be the only good thing that he's ever done in his life. Don't forget that Jeff Bezos once famously texted his girlfriend, I love you woman alive, as if he's saying, I love you alive, you're an alive woman. <laughs> I think he means to say, I love you a lot. That's a copy editor's nightmare, that sentence. There you okay. go. You don't know, you don't know it, Alex, because you're not really a copy editor. <laughs> wouldn't know how to fix that you wouldn't know you wouldn't know you wouldn't be able to look at that and be like well there's a comma missing and it's autocorrect issue you would be like hmm I'm i would have let that run in paper what copy editing phrase would you have written next to it um bb bad break it would have been <laughs> <laughs> or um stet stet it would have been like fix this one stet this is stet Anyways, um, Congress, um, stop being so confusing. Moving on, Alex, who or what is not your dad this week? Well, it's such a hard time with this because my not your dad pick for this week is Dog the Bounty Hunter. Ooh. And, but like, so there are a lot of things about Dog that are negative. Like years ago, Dog had a, a racist rant, which is not good, but he's, he apologized for that. But now he's looking for Brian Laundrie, the guy who allegedly killed, um, murdered Gabby Petito. Right. The pretty white Instagram hero, van life yeah. girl. Van life girl. Um, and Brian got away. Yep. Dog is hot on his trail. Yep. Um, 
part of me is like, okay, obviously dog is doing this in a very crass way to promote himself. Sure. That's that's very not your dad. But on the flip side, he's also is my dad because like he's like, I'm gonna take charge here. I'm gonna find this dude. <laughs> Yeah, and somebody had to, right? Yes, like the dad thing. Yesterday, my garbage disposal was blocked. So I called the plumber. I'm like, hey, can you come fix this? And he's like, sure, I'll be there that afternoon. Then I was like, no, I can fix this myself. Like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. I feel like that dog is doing in this situation. Like, I'm not going to wait for the FBI. Like, I'm going to go find this guy now. That's right. And so that is dad energy. But dog is posting a lot of things on social media. Like, he's looking in a swamp in florida that's like filled with crocodiles he right. thinks brian is like hiding in a crocodile filled swamp and he posted a photo where he found a, a can of monster energy drink yes. he's like he took a photo of it and he's like like i'm hot on his trail like as if that's a clue that brian laundry has been there mm-hmm. and i'm like we're all falling for this dope like yes it's fun <laughs> he's like on this but like he's not close to brian like he's promoting himself it's all self-promotional he did do this amazing thing where like, yeah, he thinks that Brian Laundry, which is the funniest name in the world. He so thinks good. that he is this, like swamp. And so dog hired one of those planes that carries a banner behind it. And the banner says, Aloha, Brian Laundry, dog. And he's like circling the swamp, like trying to flush Brian Laundry out. This fell over. <laughs> the dog is like, using these tactics that are like, yes, they're trying to catch Brian Laundry, but also they're like promoting himself. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, That's a good point. I am on all these like text threads. I'm on a fantasy football text thread and an NBA text thread of friends. And we're, everybody's obsessed with dog. Ooh. Um, that's all we're texting about is like dog updates. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've never watched, I've never seen dog's show, which I know was huge. Right. I don't know that dog can't, legally carry a gun because he murdered a guy that's right he's a bounty hunter but he's like hulk hogan's stepbrother who lives in a basement and has really bad blonde hair um he also famously i believe married his son's (laughs) ex-girlfriend yes after his beloved wife beth died (laughs) but then he has a new wife now i mean there's a lot of wives i guess Mm-hmm. A lot of soulmates for dogs. Yes. <laughs> Ironically. I also love how dramatic and sort of cinematic, for lack of a better word, all of his, you know, actions around this very sad story have been like, you know, I just Googled Dog the Bounty Hunter Brian Laundry and it's like headline, he's been here. <laughs> headline campsite is quote fresh. And yeah, I'm holding up a monster energy drink um it's like two days ago he's like i'm within one hour of brian laundry it's like two days past from like he wasn't close to brian laundry like even though there's no way it's amazing and i think i don't know i think we kind of need it like in these cases where like the fbi who's probably actually doing their job and know what they're doing are taking a very long time and dog has given us what we want, which is constant <laughs> updates and airplane banners and things about I'm fresh on this trail. So I, yeah. I think the people want that. I think the yeah. FBI, if they were smart, would get an airplane banner. Brian <laughs> 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 <No>. Laundry. <laughs> this is what, like as tragic as this situation is, it's a 100% giving the people what they want. There's something very like dad of like, we want this guy to catch this dude. And we're like, we're all like rooting for dog. I saw Donald Trump Jr. tweeted yesterday, like, I want dog to get there before the FBI does. Like, both sides, Democrats, Republicans, we're like coming together 
They're reaching across the aisle with, with dog's paw on top of our hands. Alex, that was brilliant. Thank you for bringing that offering to us. I also quickly will just say Brian Laundrie's family has not been cooperating with the FBI. And dog uh, a couple days ago went to their house and was ringing their doorbell and they called 911 on him. And I was like, you know what? If you're not cooperating with the FBI, then you actually deserve to have Dog the Bounty Hunter come, come ring your doorbell. You just do. And so I appreciated that he did that. I think it's <laughs> funny that a bounty hunter rings doorbells at all. Oh, yeah. good. Point. I don't know how it works, but. Well, Florida is stand your ground and he's not allowed to carry a gun. So maybe he has to like make his um, <laughs> entry known. Hey guys. Hello, ding dong. <laughs> um, Aaron. Uh, Tell us who or what is not your dad this week. I'm a member of the Itty Bitty Titty Committee, and I'm over 40, which means I, I found myself getting a mammogram on an RV. What? Recently. And I wanted to talk about it because it was really, uh, it sucks. It sucks. <laughs> it's, uh, first of all, why? Why would mammography happen on a trailer truck? Why would it have to happen on a trailer truck? First of all, have either of you ever had a mammogram? <laughs> Alex has, definitely. Well, I'm asking Alex because men can get breast cancer too. I think Beyonce's father is a breast cancer survivor. So what it is, is they just take your pectoral tissue, anything around that. And if it's not there you know, they'll make it there. They will pull it away. And what then- What do you mean when you say there? If it's not there- Like if what? you don't have a tit, like if it's not like a big obvious tit, uh -huh. like they'll pull that tissue away from your body to make it a tit. And then a nurse like pushes your chest into this machine so that a vice can squeeze it from the side and from the top no all angles and then it's like you have to stay really still they're creating the boob they're smashing it down then they leave the room because it's it's like an x-ray and they're like okay don't breathe don't breathe hold it hold it don't move don't move and it's so painful and um, uncomfortable and degrading and all those fun things and I said going in you know, I've had one of these before and it's, I wish we didn't have to do it this way because I know the results are just going to show you that I have dense breasts and what dense breasts are is basically if you don't have a big fleshy boob, then all of your tissue just looks like a tumor. Yeah. If, if you had to guess the gender of the inventor of the mammogram, what would you say? <laughs> a manogram. <laughs> a manogram. Um, yeah. But yes, they're not pleasant. And then on top of it, you have this very surreal experience of having to do it on a truck. Why a truck? I, on an RV. It, on an RV. <laughs> I think because it's so hard to get these appointments. And I think because there's such a cost involved, because usually even though with our wonderful healthcare system that's run by corrupt insurance companies, 
preventative care should be free. And yet it's not because you have to find a primary care physician and then they have to tell you to get it. But if you go through the RV, which is sponsored by the insurance company directly, then it's like a lottery and they pick you. And I literally just had to drive to a drug mart parking lot and then <laughs> knock on the door of the RV and they were expecting me. It, it's just, it's ridiculous. I'm not going to blame my small dense breasts and say, they're not my dad. I'm just going to say, yeah, you know, that, that oh. mammograms are not my dad, but really American healthcare is as usual, not my dad. It's a bad bad time right now across the board. And Mm -hmm. all of that is embodied by the con, by the image of getting a mammogram and a trailer and a parking lot. That's right. In Ohio, Mm -hmm. in Ohio, Ohio. we can't imagine. Nightmare situation. It's a nightmare. It's a waking nightmare. It just never (laughs) ends. Well, we're sorry that that happened to you, Erin. We're sorry that cancer, that mammogram screenings and a lot of cancer screenings are quite unpleasant experiences for obvious reasons, but the acts that they include are usually difficult, shall we say. Mm -hmm. And um, we hope that you are a-okay. It's okay. You're healthy, Erin. They did give me a pink like one of those bags that insulate with mm-hmm. the foil interior and it says thank you metro health breast blah 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 like what the fuck am i going to use that for i had this vision of uh, sorry for swearing um ann thompson but oh, you yeah. know taking like a bag of dog shit and 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 putting it in you know, the breast cancer awareness pink baggie <laughs> and then setting it on the the lawn of the, I, I don't know, somebody at the Cleveland Clinic. Out if you read about somebody doing that, you know who it was, listeners. Please call Dog the Bounty Hunter to come ring Aaron's doorbell. <laughs> um, well, we covered Congress. We covered Dog and Brian Laundrie. We covered the shithole that is the American healthcare system. Uh, thank you for those picks. We're going to move on to who our dads were this week. Yay. When we say that someone was our dad, it means that this is a person, place, or thing who has shown big boss energy tempered by compassion and intelligence. They've been in the news recently, maybe, or maybe it's just something that's happened to you personally. Um, I have two, if that's okay. Larry David's daughter, Cassie David, who always um i have felt for because of her breakup very public breakup with pete davidson who then immediately became engaged to ariana grande which is you know i'm sure there are many listeners out there who have experienced a similar twist of like you know the 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 breakup and then the next person they are with they get engaged to obviously he didn't end up getting married to ariana grande but i think the collectively we felt sympathetic towards oh yeah david in that situation we've all been there yeah we've all been there so kazi this week i don't know if you if you saw this alex but a couple weeks ago during new york fashion week a video of larry david 
plugging his ears, looking very unhappy at a New York Fashion Week show. In the front row. Front row. So all of the models are walking by him. Jared Leto is like to his left, you know, and it's such a good image too, because it shows you how ridiculous fashion shows really are. It's like pounding music, music. Everybody there is just whatever and Larry David was like I've had enough and started plugging his ears and looked really miserable so this week Kazi David who was a guest on the call her daddy podcast and she said she did not think that those photos were funny at all she found it quote so disturbing Mm. Um, and then she said I'm happy everyone thought it was so funny and relatable for me it was like this is a man who was dragged to some place that he doesn't want to be at and that he didn't know what it would be, and he doesn't know what a fashion show is, but he didn't want to go, obviously. I know him. And she said, my dad, like, he looks like he's having a breakdown, truly. It was just simply too loud for him to be there. I actually really appreciated that she said this, and it Mm -hmm. felt like a very tender, like, you know, daughter moment of, like, yeah, we can all laugh because Larry David's a curmudgeon, and he's made a career out of being Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm, but I did like that she was like, he didn't want to be there. And I also liked the implication of like whoever dragged him. I don't know who she's talking to. I got maybe a girlfriend of Larry David vibe or like a partner vibe. Like who convinced Larry Yeah, because he was in the front row. And what I didn't realize, because I saw it as a still picture, I didn't realize because the the original video is the entire show. He's like in the fetal position, like with his hands over his ears. And if you do have a hearing problem, yeah, it, it can be very, I mean, but she didn't she say it seems like he's having a breakdown? Like he said, it seems like he was having a, a breakdown, but also I just thought that it was interesting that she said whoever convinced him to go. And I definitely have played that card when my father was alive, you know, and he did things that were out of character. I was always suspicious as to like there was some girlfriend in the wings like who the fuck told my dad to buy a leather jacket he looks like a fucking idiot right like (laughs) i picked up on that energy maybe i'm completely wrong maybe it was a publicist or something but cassie is angry with whoever put her dad in that situation and i appreciated her for calling that out in that moment the other person that i'm gonna say is not my dad or two people and we talked about them at length on our last daddy issues is JLo and Ben Affleck, who, mm. oh my God, walked through in the most embarrassing Ugh. stage paparazzi photo shoot ever a Lame. couple weeks ago. Like, it was interesting because I've only watched the coverage of them, like, it's via spaces that I don't know, right. like, as like, a person. Like, it's like, oh, they're on a yacht in Greece. They're... Right. Or they're at Craig's. They're going to dinner they're at Craig's. Or they're walking into the... They're in the parking lot of Nobu, or they're, like, they're in some really Tony L.A. place that I don't, I don't know or understand. But then during Fashion Week, they walked through Madison Square Park. Which is which- not... <laughs> It's nowhere near, for people who don't live in New York, Alex is now in LA, but lived here for years and years. So he knows it's like 23rd, it's like by the Flatiron. By the Flatiron, and it's a very small park. You just walk there to get, you know, to cross over from one avenue to the next. It's 
it's a big nothing. It's not it's a big enough, park. Yeah. It's a playground and a fountain. Maybe. Um, Sometimes I think they used to have a Shake Shack there. It's, it's by really- 11 Madison Park, the restaurant that's now gone oh. vegan, which will probably not be our dad next week. Yeah, J-Lo and Ben Affleck walked through Madison Square Park and all of the like question in my head of like, is this real love? They've reunited. You know, I do think they really love each other, but like was kind of wondering, like, maybe this isn't just like a big publicity bullshit parade for them. Like maybe they just, you know, they're such big celebrities themselves. They can't help if they get papped. Um, No, No. I saw those photos of them walking through a, an utterly superfluous park in New York City that no one goes to. The jig was up. What the hell are you two doing? This needs to stop. Ben Affleck is getting thinner and thinner. I have a lot of worries for him because I don't think that he is far enough into his sobriety to be doing this kind of behavior. He doesn't seem well. She seems like a complete asshole. And she's wearing like Carrie Bradshaw levels of matchy, matchy, go fuck yourself. I, it doesn't make any sense. But here's the twist of my who's my dad in this story. How are they your dad? There's yeah. a woman in the background of this photo, of one of the photos, who is like freaking out. Like really? her. Yes, and I know it's annoying to reference something that you can't see listening to a podcast, but we'll put this on the Instagram account. There's a woman, and and it's gone viral, a lot of people have pointed this out, who's in the background, who is like, what? Like her mouth is hanging open and her eyes are really big. And she's like losing her shit that J-Lo and Ben Affleck just walked by her in a park that, you know, nothing ever happens in. And it's an amazing image. And then I started thinking that maybe these two are so fucked up, Ben and Jen, that they hired like extras around them to also react. And then I was like, I really hope that this woman is one of those extras and she just took it too far. (laughs) That's a good idea. Yeah. Direction of like, be like, you know, like just be sitting there, don't react. And she kind of riffed. Like, that's kind of my fantasy about the image. But I, whether or not she's a real person or planted by them or what, (laughs) I appreciate, even if it was intentional or not, that she in her reaction in the background highlighted how stupid this whole thing is that they're doing this in public. So woman in the background of the Jen and Ben stage, Madison Square Park photos. You are also my dad this week in addition to Kazzy and you can go to our Instagram and tell me about your father to see this woman's image. (laughs) It's incredible. I love the theory that she's a plant, that she's an extra. They hire an extra. Well, I mean, even just to hire, the paparazzi have to walk backwards, right? To be that close in front to get the perfectly staged image that they did. And that park is so small that you would be bumping into everyone, even in COVID times. So that was clearly staged because it was more like a fashion shoot. It's a really good point. It was more like a fashion shoot. And I do think that this woman was hired by whoever's publicist. I'm going to say Jen's um, made that happen. I'm going to say Jen's as well. <laughs> oh, these two, enough, you know? Go back to the yacht. Things were better when you were just like dry humping on a yacht. Oh, so hot. Like, that's what we want to see. We don't want to see the stage stuff. It ruins it for everybody. Mm. If you're going to do this, be on a yacht and be horny on a yacht. Right. Or at least like in, in Central Park where the leaves are alive in yeah. October. Yeah, it was the wrong park. Wrong park. Oh, staged. Whoever directed that was Lame. 
Alex, tell us who is your dad this week? This week I'm going with Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones. What? Who had a big week. He had a big week. A really yes. big week. I saw that. So on Monday, he got memed because on Monday he posted this video of himself where he's like dancing in a rehearsal space. And it looks like I used to do like improv comedy and like in Midtown, you'd like rent these rooms. And it looks like he's in one of those rooms. He's like doing like jazz hands. And he got clowned on for doing that. But I'm like, no, you're like, you're 78 years old. You're yep. like excited. You're dancing and you want to share your enthusiasm. I'm like, good for you. Then a day or two ago, he went viral again on Twitter because I guess the Rolling Stones are touring right now without Charlie Watts, RIP. He just died like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, uh, but Mick posted a photo a couple nights ago. Of they're playing, the Rolling Stones are playing in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he went to a bar called the Thirsty Beaver Saloon. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> and he like has a baseball hat on. He's like drinking a beer by himself. Yep. And there's like people all around him. And nobody recognized that Mick Jagger was hanging out at the bar. Nope. And I guess they called the bar, like the press called the bar later and confirmed. They're like, how long was he there? And like, he was there a while. Like nobody knew it was him. Somebody like took a cell phone camera. Like one of the, his people like took that photo. And that photo went viral. And then I guess like you, the, the big boss energy move he had this week was on Wednesday this week, he was a guest for the first time ever on Howard Stern. Oh, oh. Stern is a, like, was building it up. He's like, this is the biggest thing for me. I'm the biggest Rolling Stones fan. Whoa. This is going to be awesome. And so they did the interview like outside of Stern's normal showtime. It was like in the middle of the day live. And they did the interview for like half an hour. <gasps> and then half an hour into it, Stern is like, I'm getting worried you have to leave. And Mick's like, yeah, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> and usually like when a publicist is like, he has to go, the, the guests are just like, no, no, no. Like I'll stay, I'll answer with everyone. Like it's Howard Stern. It's like the most listened to radio show. Yeah. And Stern keeps trying to go. And um, he keeps going, um, keep, like your publicist keeps saying like, you have to go. He's like, yeah, like, thanks for having me. <laughs> Stern, like, and Stern was like, um, well, maybe uh, we can do this again soon. I have so much more that I want to talk to you about. And he's like, maybe. And like, just the fact that he like, doesn't give Stern. Oh like, my God. I, I do love Howard, but like the fact that he does, like, doesn't budge and is just like, no, I like you, I promised you half an hour and you're getting half an hour. Alex, so, that's a good really one. I had not heard that. It's a great one. And it's also big boss energy to have firm boundaries. Yes. <laughs> but then, okay. The, uh, similar to dog, like a, obviously Mickey is very problematic as well, but like, that in the interview with Stern, he brings up that he has eight children. Yes. And I looked this up on Wikipedia. His children rage and age from 50 to five years old, <laughs> which has to be a world record that like his it's oldest a, child could be a grandparent to his youngest child. Yeah, totally. <laughs> when he's still alive is crazy. And um, yeah, I remember there was, uh, and his, his eight children are from five different partners. <laughs> And I remember years ago, I looked it up a year on Thanksgiving 2001, ABC had a documentary on Thanksgiving night called Being Mick, which is like following Mick around for a day. And Mick in that documentary has Thanksgiving with all of his children and all of his partners. They, like, they all come together. Like what an uncomfortable Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, wow. unconventional. Yeah. What does it mean that they all got together? It means they all want to stay in the will. 
That's what that means. That's true. That's a good one, Alex. Why are people dunking on him for rehearsing and practicing? Those moves don't come out of nowhere. He has to practice and he's like 80. Like 78 years old, but insane that he's still going. It is interesting. I I think people were also giving him shit. Like they played their first show of their tour was a, I think a private show for (laughs) salesforce.com. Yes. Yes. And it looked like it was in like a gymnasium somewhere, like some cafeteria. And it's like the Rolling Stones playing. And then and then there's like this very moving moment where like this is our first show in like 49 years without Charlie Watts. And it's for salesforce.com. It's for Salesforce. Yeah. Like um, so part of it, some people were like giving him a hard time for that. But at the same time, like these people haven't played music in two years and like they need to make money and like take that check from Salesforce. Like who cares? Well, it's a very dad move. The Stones invented corporate rock and roll. So the show must go on. If your 70 plus year old drummer is dead, that's how you honor him. Yes. So Rolling Stones, they're known for the 40 licks. And you, that reminds me of something you wanted to talk to Aaron and I about, a TikTok trend called DV licks. What in the world? So Devious Licks is a thing that's gone viral in the past couple of weeks where it's teenagers and high schools are taking TikToks of each other, vandalizing school bathrooms. Good. (laughs) And they call it Devious Licks for some reason. I don't know why. I'm not into like, and so. They're not licking anything, are they, in the bathroom? Smashing like soap dispensers. Okay. And I find it so funny and like the dad of it all is like oh as a dad you should be like you should not approve of this this is bad behavior but deep down I'm like this is so funny and I have my college roommate is a high school teacher in San Francisco and he told me the kids at that school his school did a devious lick where they stole a toilet from the bathroom and took it home and were doing TikToks in their house of them sitting on the school toilet (laughs) that is brilliant (laughs) How did they get the toilet out of the school? Seriously. Wow. <laughs> and uh, they all got, they got caught and they got suspended. And we were like, sure. we got to appreciate like the, I don't know, the ingenuity, like they, they were able to like steal a toilet from a school. That is incredible. I'm looking at the Devious Licks Wikipedia page. There have been other incidents of kids using Devious Licks, not only besides vandalizing bathrooms, which is I think a time honored tradition. Shit went down in, ba- in middle school bathrooms. Oh yeah. Besides bathroom destruction, it includes stealing exit signs, telephones, smart boards, and microscopes. <laughs> yeah. oh, it's like, it's so good. It's like just vandalize your school, put it on TikTok, yeah. and go viral. And go viral. No, it is a very, it's data adjacent because it involves also high school principals um, punishing these kids, which is, you know, there's nothing more of a dad image than an incensed high school principal. Yeah, like my old roommate, Nate, he is also, he is now a dad and he teaches in a high school. And I have a clear memory of like being a freshman in college with him and like on campus, they would serve pitchers of beer. And we had a pitcher of beer and he like, we went to like the bathroom and he did a roundhouse kick and like took the soap dispenser off the wall. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) and now he's like punishing kids for doing the same thing i was like no you did this this is what we did do you think he feels hypocritical no i mean i'm probably he'll text me like it's super funny like he appreciated he had the the toilet stealing which which you know we didn't really talk to you about about being a dad you have a son george who's he's two right he's two yeah yeah, he's two 
He's two. I see George on Instagram. He loves the Beatles, which yeah, that's a new thing, and it's amazing because Aaron, I know that's what your book is about. Like, with yeah, and like it's amazing to see through a two-year-old's eyes, like catching Beatlemania. Yes, like, he, it's so insane because like, obviously we know the Beatles so well, and like he, I was driving, listening to Little Steven's Underground Garage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he played I Want to Hold Your Hand. And I like George just like went insane in the back seat. It was like clapping and like, hold my hand. Hold my hand. And, uh, you like this? I was like, I'll, like, I'll play this when we get home. And like played it when we got home. I'm like, do you want to hear other Beatles songs? And he's like hooked beyond belief. Oh. Like there is, I bought like I have a, on iTunes, um, every Beatles music video. Yeah. I want to watch those over and over and over. And he like gives giddy like the kids in a hard day's night he's like clapping on the couch and like cheering and you can like yes. sing them and it is amazing that like hearing a watching a two-year-old listen to it and i've read this before the beatles are very like good for english as second language or first language like yes which loves hello goodbye and that's like that's basically like teaching you the english language that song it's like that's right very universal but yeah it's just incredible to see a kid uh get into the beatles that way and there it made me think like um there is this conversation now amongst people about like, is it ethical to have children with the world probably coming to an end soon? And part of me is like, when you see a kid like experience joy via the Beatles, I'm like, yeah, this is worth it. <laughs> exactly. They're such a special band. Hard Day's Night. I saw that you showed George a Hard Day's Night on an Instagram post. And yes. one of the funniest movies of all time. John Lennon is fucking hilarious in that movie. They all are. It's a, yeah, no, I talked to like comedy friends of mine who love the Marx Brothers. I'm weird. I don't like the Marx Brothers. I don't know why. But yeah. the Beatles are funnier than the Marx Brothers. It's like they did what the Marx Brothers were doing. And it's like funny. That movie is perfect. Is. I saw it on a big screen a few years ago here in LA. And the, um, the director, writer, Alison Andrews spoke before. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, this is a perfect movie. This is it's so like funny. they are big screen stars. They're so funny. It's absurd. Uh, what do you call your haircut? Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like the humor is like George gets the humor is like very slapsticky. And just like that, the opening of the movie is so iconic. I can only imagine like being a kid in 1964 on the big screen and like the movie opening with that chord and then the Beatles are like uh-huh. running at you. It's like the greatest. It's perfect. Ugh, I know. They reissued A Hard Day's Night when high school or in college, and I have a really happy memory of going to see the re-release in a theater with my mom and my aunt, who loved the Beatles. They both started crying the second, oh, yeah. the first chord and the, the screaming. It was, like, so moving for them. Yeah, I'm not even, like, a. I don't cry at movies often. It's a very dad statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A Hard Day's Night will make me tear up, uh, for sure. I'll have to say the only like the most dad thing ever. The only movie where I've like openly cried in the theater was Moneyball. <laughs> Amazing. Why? I saw it uh, in Union Square by myself. Yeah. And I I grew up in the Bay Area. And I grew up going to baseball games in Oakland. And it was just like that feeling of like, oh, I'm seeing my home. Yeah. And I'm like alone and I'm a, like I'm far away. Mm-hmm. They shot the movie like in Oakland. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this would like bring like, like very like homesick feelings. Were you worried about having a son? Were you, or do you worry about, is it, there a lot of pressure? Like you mentioned people talk about not wanting to have kids because the world's ending, but it's all worth it when you see a little kid watching A Hard Day's Night. Like what, what has it been like for you to navigate this world as a first time father? 
Um, in- incredible. I'm one of those people who like wanted to be a dad for, like for forever. So it's like a fulfillment of like yeah, getting to have that experience. And yeah, it's uh, hard to put in words. Really uh, incredible and yeah, challenging, like everybody says. And your family is Greek. There's, um, I've seen a video. I just keep referencing your Instagram, uh, <laughs> but I saw a video of George saying very succinctly and clearly when he was still learning how to talk. I love Spanakopita, and it was the cutest yeah. thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. He's like one year old, and I was like, one of his first words is Spanakopita. I love Spanakopita. <laughs> it's cute. such a crazy experience when you hear their little voices, like saying multi-syllable words for the first time, like as an aunt. Like when the first time I heard Charlie say Aunt Busy, it's like it's like hearing like a golden retriever talk or something. It's like the tiniest, purest voice. It's the funniest thing is like this past week, he just started preschool a couple of weeks ago. It's like, because when you just start preschool, they're very like, they're crying all day long because they want to be at home. And so he's here, he's getting reassured by the teachers a lot. And Melissa was driving him yesterday and Melissa was like, she made a wrong turn or something and she got upset. And George in the backseat was like, it's all right, my boy. (laughs) Because that's what the teachers are telling him. And so like when when Melissa gets upset, he calls her my boy. It's all right, my boy. It's going to be okay, my boy. <laughs> Funny to hear two-year-olds call his mom my boy. <laughs> all right, my boy. Um, yeah. Well, take it home, Aaron. Tell us about what Not Your Dad is. Who are Okay, well, if you thought mammograms, roving mammograms were fun, I'm going to tell you about how... My husband is my dad recently when he witnessed me being groped by a creep in real time. So I'm going to, sorry to make this the after school special (laughs) portion, but I really thought I could make a point with this. I was really struck when it happened because I obviously wasn't expecting it. Recently, we had to go to a dinner party. And there was a guy there that we had both met before and we both don't like, but it's one of those situations where he's in our lives peripherally and we have to be around him sometimes. And we were posing for a photograph, like a group picture after this event that included me and my husband and a bunch of people in their families. And then this guy's family, meaning wife and two small children. And so his family is to my side and my husband's behind me. And we're like waiting for the the camera to take the picture. And it's a self-portrait thing. So somebody's running around and it's taking a long time. And I feel this hand go into my back pocket. And I think, I just assume, oh, that's my husband's hand, but it also didn't feel like my husband's hand, but there wasn't time to kind of like think about it. And of course you're smiling for the camera and I could really just, I could really go on and describe like it, it was a, a very deliberate stroking of the buttock. Okay. And so fast forward the picture's over, we're outside getting our things together because we're going to leave. And I said something to my husband like, that was your hand, right? 
and he's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, never mind, never mind, never mind. But he kind of like got it, what I was saying. And we went to say goodbye to this group of people. And the the guy in question, the creepy guy, indeed, like went to hug me and grabbed both of my ass cheeks right in front of Chris. And it was amazing, like, because I it just looked so bold and immediately erased the whole, like, was I imagining that ass grab? And I couldn't see what was happening behind me, but in the flurry of it, I guess Chris leaned in to say goodbye to him. And he was like, I will cut you open. And we are in a rush to get out. We got out of there. Somebody handed me a baked ziti as a leftover take-home prize. I'm thinking of this event because you and I, Busy, have been doing so much research for The Sopranos. And so Chris naturally has been watching seven seasons of The Sopranos with me. And so I think that's where the I will cut you open came from, <laughs> the intensity of it. Anyway, as soon as we get to a stoplight, he is so upset, you know, he's just like, get rid of the ZD, get rid of the ZD. And I like put the ZD on the ground outside the stop sign and he pulls up and then reverses the car and like pulls back over, flattening the ZD <laughs> just to like contain himself. And it just brought up all that stuff, all the reasons why you don't usually make a fuss. This happened to you, Busy, like when we were in a cab with a well-meaning male friend, the cab driver like grabbed your leg or something. And you were like, this cab driver just grabbed me. And the guy was like, well, what, why did you let him do that? Yeah. You know, like it all happens like so fast. And this was so loaded because this man, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that it wasn't even about me. It was about getting something over on my husband, you know, keeping me silent because his own children and wife were there. I was reminded of like how afraid I was as a kid because my dad had a real temper. So even if this had happened in front of my dad, I think like I would have been so afraid that he would lose his mind and like cause a scene or throw a punch or make it about him in some way. Whereas Chris did like the exact right thing, which is basically threaten violence <laughs> calmly and secretly, like just so it's between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And I just wanna say to Chris, if he's listening, there's some men in my life that I fiercely love in spite of who they are a little, but you are, one that I love because of who you are. I mean, your character and your nature, all these things that you either have or you don't. We talk a lot about like, what is a good man on this show? That's what this is about. And I'm just so grateful because I know it, it's, it comes at a big expense, you know, for somebody who is a good man and isn't trying to exploit that or use the excuse of masculinity or testosterone to like beat their chest or even try to save the day too much. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just very in awe of that role.
you know, that's the first time I've felt like that's what a husband is. That's what a father is, a protector, but mm-hmm. somebody who's putting you first, but also like validating, like exactly. I saw him do it. I, I saw, saw him do it. I saw him do it. I believe you and yeah. I'm curious on your behalf. Yeah. It is a fine line, I think, for men in those situations to know how to handle it without making it about them or being the good guy that's going to call out and save the woman and whatever. But I think it's really necessary in those moments for men to say something when they see something. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's such a scary situation. And also, like you said, so shocking when a man behaves in that way that you almost like you don't associate it with reality. It's like, how are you even doing this? Right. It reminded me there was like a news story a couple of years ago that George Bush Sr. was like guilty of doing this all the time. Where's it like during, during like, cause as a president, you take so many photos and like dozens of women came forward and were like, yeah, he would like grab me like while the photo like was being taken. Yeah. Just like, yeah. It's like, oh, this is like this thing that I do. And like, who's getting hurt by this? And it's like, no, this is like extremely wrong. Right. It's the Matt Damon, you know, as a father of daughters, there is a spectrum. You know, what Weinstein did is one thing, but what Franken did is another. But the thing about like the ass grab is not the, it's an ass grab. It's that it's the sneakiness of the ass grab specifically during a picture, because this happened in the Taylor Swift case too. You're smiling, you're doing the right thing. You're standing still and no one will believe you. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just you know it's such a like a horrible like thing that you're not expecting it and it's like so shocking in the moment and also like in the middle of a photo your instinct isn't gonna be like to turn around and hit the dude which is what you want to do right like in the middle of a photo you don't want to like you're questioning yourself like did that really happen what's what's going on here it's very disorienting it's a horrible yeah. situation to be in I, I feel for you it's terrible I'm, I'm glad that your husband put this guy in his place yeah me too um, I am too. It's a real, it's real king shit as the kids on the internet would call it. Chris Gellis, it's real king shit of you to do that. (laughs) Very proud of you for picking up for your wife and for also leaving the situation by having (laughs) to put a big CD outside (laughs) of the car. And then that wasn't enough. You drove over it. That is a Tony Soprano. That is a Silvio move. Driving over the CD, I think, is a great image, too, because you're so enraged and you're not thinking. Right. You are not thinking. You're you're like, what do I, I'm going to have her, I'm going to drive the car over the fucking CD. I'm so furious. And I hope, and I hope these people see it when they leave their, their home later that we left a smash CD on the street. It's a very um, powerful thing to do and huge thing to do. Um. And also just to your point, Alex, like, like, yes. And even like George Bush was doing that when he was in a fucking wheelchair, which I mean, I'm sure he did it his whole life. But remember when that came out, it was like, he was also like near death and in a wheelchair. And there's like, and and they tried to play into that to be like, he's an old man. It's dementia. What he's doing. And it's really, there is a long, I think this is like a thing, like a time honored tradition of, people using the opportunity i'll say people but mostly men to put their hands on people's bodies and embarrass them when photos are being taken because you cannot make a scene and this guy did this to you aaron 
and it's fucked up and and also the secrecy of it and the fact that his wife and kids were there and your husband was there so gross so gross so if any guys are listening to this show threaten violence on the behalf of the person whose body is being violated please do it and never question your motives just do it and do it but don't but don't like throw a punch equally don't make a scene just quietly i will quietly open in their ear yeah you know those scenes exist on the sopranos for a reason that's right thank Thank you you. thank you aaron i almost cried while you were talking thank you alex Alex, thank you for coming on the show, talking to us about everything we always want to talk about, which is why this interview is two hours long. We talked about Nirvana, we talked about Courtney Love, we talked about J-Lo, Dog the Bounty Hunter, Hunter. we talked about the Beatles and and Baby George, Jack, and Charlie, all the babies in our lives. We talked about rage the sopranos all of it and what a clown Kristen cinema is clown yes she should have to wear a big bird costume on the floor of congress she basically does it's kind yeah, of the way she dresses does. <laughs> she is one of the biggest birds and biggest clown birds on the planet alex thank you so much for coming on before we leave what do you have coming up anything you can share with us some cool projects that are still under wraps. If, if you want to read something that I wrote, I really um, am proud of the Jeff Tweedy essay that I wrote for LA Review Books. It's a, nice. it's a long read. It's a long read, but um, yeah, yeah. Good the, for you. Uh, I love Jeff Tweedy. He was a really sweet guy. I yeah. love Wilco. We want you to come back on the show many times so we can keep our <laughs> conversations to an hour each time. But we yeah, I'm always happy to be the straight white correspondent. We're <laughs> so not fun. joking. Oh man. Um, all right. Well, thank you, Alex Gordellis. If you want to follow, is your Twitter handle at, at Alex Gordellis? Yes, it's my name. Um, it's just his name on Twitter. He's very, very funny. You tweeted something like six months ago. You're like Wes Anderson just just found out that Trump was president. Yeah, I had like a run of tweets. Yeah, what was like, it? Yeah, I had like 10 tweets of like, yeah, Wes Anderson just learning. He's like, wait, who's president now? What, what happened? <laughs> like... That was so funny. Go go look for it on Twitter. It's genius. Alex Gordellis, yeah, thank, thank you so much for joining us on Daddy Issues. And hopefully you can come back a whole bunch yeah. in the future. This was so fun. Thank you. Thanks. It was so much fun. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Thanks. Tell Me About Your Father and Daddy Issues were created and produced by Aaron Hosier, Elizabeth Thompson, and Matthew Philp. All episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, Stitcher, really anywhere. Follow us at Tell Me About Your Father on Instagram and Facebook. You know how it is. You've got to rate the stuff you like. Review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think.